Welcome to an inspirational Sunday message from Found Church. We hope you will be challenged and encouraged while listening to this message. For more information, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit our church website, foundchurch.co.uk, or you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. so good to be with you. I want to thank Michael and Diane for allowing me to be with you this morning. It was so good yesterday. You will know already that I am not Scottish. I am sad about that, but I am definitely from South London. So I said to the ladies yesterday, you just need to be aware that in London we don't pronounce the TH. It's not one, two, three. It's one, two, three. And it's, it's, we don't pronounce our T. So bear with me. We also speak really fast. But actually, the Scottish also speak quite fast. So we're in good company. And uh, it is a joy to be with you. I feel like, you know, no matter where you go, when you're in the kingdom of God, you're in family. So we're family this morning. And it's good to be with you this morning. And I'm going to dive straight in because I've got a word from God for us this morning. And I want to make the most of every moment that we have. And I want to start with the word of God. Mark chapter 8, verses 27 to 30. I'm going to move this a little bit if that's okay. And it says this. This is Jesus speaking from Mark chapter 8, verses 27 to 30. And the title of my message is The Identity Question. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked them, who do people say that I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah. And Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. And the question that we often ask ourselves in our lifetime, maybe more than once, is who am I? Like, if I meet you for the first time, and, I, and, I, and we don't know each other, how do you describe yourself when you introduce yourself to me? When you write your CV and your personal statement, how do you capture yourself? Because there is a huge crisis, not just in the secular, but in the church, that we don't really know who we are. So, so often our identity is determined by where we were in our family, whether we were the youngest, the oldest, the middle. If you were the youngest child in your family, put your hand up this morning. If you were the oldest child in your family, put your hand up. See, even the way the oldest child puts their hand up is like resentful. (laughs) Like, yes, yes, it was me. Yes, I took all the responsibility. Yes, I didn't have any fun. And the youngest children are always like, yes. And if you're the only child, you put two hands up. You're like, I had it all. But the role that we had in family defines our identity. Society wants to define your identity. Like, there's a massive pressure on what men should be like and what women should be like. And, you know, you look at social media and all these programs on Netflix of what our houses should look like and what our marriages should look like. There's a massive pressure from the world of what's okay and what's not okay. And then we come to the Word of God and we're like, we have an identity crisis. We're like, well, well, who are we? And if I say to you, who are you? Who are you? How you sum yourself up tells me the essence of who you think you are, of, of your worth and your value and, and your, stru- your place in society. And in Mark chapter 8, Jesus comes to the disciples, he initiates this conversation. 
This is a pivotal moment in Jesus' ministry. So, you know, he was in ministry for three years, and he had years of what they call popularity, which are just before, leading up to Mark chapter 8, where everybody loved Jesus. Crowds flocked out. I mean, he's healing, he's doing miracles, and everybody loves him. But here at Caesarea Philippi, he knows what's coming. He knows the cross is coming. And he's beginning to get his disciples ready for the chaos that's about to come. They don't know the plan. He does. So he takes them on this journey of identity. And he says, who do people say that I am? Verse 27. And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. I want to say something powerful this morning that is so true over your life. The first thing you have to understand is your identity cannot come from the opinion of other people. Jesus asked them, who do the crowd say that I am? And straight away, there's so many times Jesus asks questions that they've got no idea what he's talking about. Why is he talking about bread? Why is he, there's, there's often the disciples like, we don't know. But this one they do know. They're like, oh, we know what the crowd say. We know that they say, you're this and you're this. And I know that you will know what the crowd say over your life. You will know what the neighbours think, and you will know what your work colleagues think, and you will know what your family members think. We all know what the some says say. And Jesus had people with opinions about himself. When I was about 25, I went to get a job in the Royal Opera House in London Covent Garden. Has anyone in the room ever been into the London Opera? Oh, it's posh. It's so posh. I come from council estate, working class family, and I saw this job. I was about 25. I had all the skill sets, all the qualifications. I brushed up my CV, and I got a job interview. So I went and got a suit from Next. I thought, all right, I've got, I've got to up my game. Went and got a posh suit. And I researched the Royal Opera House. I went and looked at the trustees, their vision. I researched, you know, the, the chief operating officer. I looked at some really key things. I thought, I'm going to need this for the interview. On the day of the interview, I went into the Royal Opera House and it, it's got doors like city gates. Like they're huge. They're the size of this room, just getting in the front door. And then the foyer is probably the size of this whole room. And you have to walk all the way across to the receptionist who's right in the corner. And she was immaculate. She looked like she'd come off a of Vogue. Like her hair was perfect. Her makeup was perfect. Everything within me wanted to like ruffle her hair. I didn't do it, but I wanted to. And I said, I've come for an interview with Lady Jane Herbert. That was who I had the interview. And she said, oh, please wait, and she'll be with you shortly. So I sat. And I knew it was Lady Jane Herbert even before she introduced herself because she came out with tweed and she strode across the room. And she said, Lady Jane Herbert. And she didn't really shake my hand. It was sort of like a limp thing. I didn't know if I was meant to touch it, kiss it, or I shake it. So we sort of touch fingers. It was quite weird. And then she followed me, followed me, and we went to her office. And I noticed that my CV wasn't on her desk. I had a spare copy, but she had this huge desk. And she said to me, so, and I was ready. I was ready. I'd, like, practiced. But the first question she asked me, I had never been asked in an interview before, and I have never been asked in an interview since. She said to me, tell me, tell me about your family. Who, who is your family? So I was like, oh, because uh, I, was, I was ready, and I was... Okay, so my dad is an electrician. He's been an electrician for 35 years. And my mum is um, a dinner lady. I've got one sister. She went, no, 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 no. Tell me who, who is your family? And now I'm confused because I don't really know what the answer to this question is. So I said, oh, well, 
My dad is Victor Rocket. Nobody mock my surname. I quite liked it. It matched my nature. So I said, my dad's Victor Rocket, Sylvia Rocket. And then she stood up and she said, thank you so much for coming. It was such a pleasure to meet you. Uh, I'm going to walk you to the door, and then it's on the way out, and you turn your left, and you'll be hearing from us. And before I knew what happened, I was outside the big gates thinking, what was that? Like, she didn't ask me anything about my experience or my qualifications or anything. And then I realized, our working-class people with electricians and dinner ladies don't work for the Royal Opera House. And what she was asking me really was, are my family patrons of the Royal Opera House? Are we connected? Do we finance? Do we help? Do we support? And of course, we do not. Like, my parents wouldn't even know what opera was. Or care, probably. But the thing is, she had a glimpse of who she thought I was. I could have done that job with one hand tied behind my back, but she didn't care about my experience. She didn't care about my identity. She cared about a glimpse and understanding. And there are so many people in your life who think they know who you are. They've had a glimpse of something you maybe did in your past and they've made a decision over you. Or maybe it's something that you actually did in your past and you've made a decision over you. There are some says in your workplace and in your neighborhood, but Jesus says over your life who you are. It is Jesus that speaks. And we have to learn to listen for the some says. We have to identify when it's partial truth or old truth and it's not true now. See, it's interesting that the disciples knew what the crowd was saying. Because truthfully, as human beings, we always know what the crowd is saying. You know, we do like to know what so-and-so thinks about so-and-so. And... I wonder if this was some of the things that the disciples thought. You know how you always say, everybody thinks, and really it's just you, you think that. You ever done that? Oh, everybody thinks that, and really it's... it's." I wonder if the disciples were thinking, is he Elijah? Is he... he?" Some say, they were confused themselves. But Jesus cuts straight through that. He comes to the point of going, okay. Some say, who says? The crowd says. Why is he even asking them? Why is he even asking them the question? Because he's taking them on a journey of truth. And sometimes God has to dismantle things in our lives before we can stand upon the truth in our lives. People will decide your identity if you let them. People will have an opinion over your life if you allow it. And so often people will decide your worth based on your bank balance or the clothes that you wear. So often people will decide your intellect on your gender or the color of your skin or the job that you do. And we have to decide who gets to speak over your life. Who gets to decide? Is it what Jesus says over your life or is it what other people say? Is it what the sum says? We have to decide. Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And I always thought, Jesus, why are you asking? You know, John chapter 5, Jesus says, I don't trust in human testimony. So he's not asking because he wants their validation or their approval. He's asking to dismantle. And I wonder if I said to you, who do people say that you are? I wonder what you tell me. I wonder if they'd speak over your past, they'd speak over your now, of what they understand a Christian to be. Can I tell you, you were not created to live by the noise of other people's opinions. You were created to live by the truth of who Jesus says that you are. I love the fact that Jesus makes it personal. He cuts out the voice of the crowd and he says, but what about you, verse 29? Who do you say that I am? See, the truth I have discovered the longer that I've been in Jesus is if you know who Jesus really is, you will know who you are. 
Because the longer you are in his presence, the more he strips back all the rubbish and he reveals the truth of who he says you are. And what he says you can trust. Man, woman, can't always be trusted what they think and their opinion, but you can always trust in what Jesus says. One of the things I observe in the church, being a leader alongside my husband for 30 years, is people have identity crises, even in the church, because they have not done the work of understanding who Jesus is and then who they are. So sometimes in church leadership, you see people when they come to church and they dress a certain way and they speak a certain way and, and they behave a certain way because they're in church. And then you see the same people in the workplace and they dress differently, but they also speak differently. They're a bit more ruthless, a little bit more cutting. They're a little bit more backstabbing sometimes in the workplace, a little bit dog-eat-dog. And, and they behave a certain way. And then you see them out with their friends. Social media is very revealing when you're a leader. And you're like, oh, you dress a certain way and you behave a certain way and you speak differently when you're out with your friends. But here's the truth. When you know who Jesus is, when he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords, when his word is a foundation of your life, when what he says is the pinnacle on which you stand, then you, when you're in church, you dress a certain way and you speak a certain way. But his truth is your truth. And so that affects how you live your life. And then when you go into the workplace, you may dress differently, but you're not going to speak any differently because his truth is your truth. You're not going to compromise. You're not going to cut corners. We're not going to take pens home. We're going to be the same people that we are in church because his truth is our truth and that affects our identity. And then when we go out with our friends, if they're really our friends, they're going to love us for who we are, not who they want us to be. So we can dress how we always dress and we can speak how we always speak because his truth is our truth, which means we're not going to adapt for anyone else. And if we have to, then they're not our friends. When you come into the kingdom of God, there are phases in our life that that can cause people to go through identity crisis that shouldn't affect us when we know our identity. That's why when 18-year-olds go off to university, I always get a little nervous. I think, do they know who they are? Have we done the foundational work before we send them off into a place where everybody else is going to have an influence? Do they know who they are in Jesus and do they know who they are in Jesus for themselves? Their foundation stone. When people get married, people often have identity crisis because we were one and now we're two. And I don't know how I fit in this relationship. But if you know who Jesus is, then you allow him to speak into how your marriage is. And when people retire or their roles change or they get made redundant, listen, you're more than your job. You're, you're not defined by your job title. That is not your worth and your value. Your worth and your value comes from who you are in Jesus. So it doesn't matter about your pay grade or your pay worth or what your bank looks like. or It doesn't matter because in God we're all equal. There are no superstars or second-class citizens. We are one in the body. I tell you what's interesting is how God defines himself. See, God's got many titles. Stephen mentioned one of them this morning. Elohim, God of strength and might. El Shaddai, God Almighty. Adonai, Lord of Lords. El Roi, the God who sees. But when Moses asks him in Exodus, who shall I say sent me? God doesn't use any of those titles. He simply says, I am. It's who he is that that he allows to define him. And can I tell you, it's not your title. It's not whether you're married or single. It's not whether you're divorced. When we come into the kingdom of God, he defines you. When you follow Jesus, your identity changes. I love these verses, 2 Corinthians 3.18. 
So all of us have had that vow removed and we can see and reflect the Lord's glory. And the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like him as we are being changed into his glorious image. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone, anyone is in Christ, the new you has come, the old has gone, the new is here. Listen, let me tell you, the old has gone. The old has gone. People may remind you of it and you can say the old has gone. The new is here. That's what Jesus specializes in. He's the master. He's not even the restorer. He builds from the ground up all things new. He made all things new in your life. So you can stand strong no matter what happened or who said it or who did it and go, do you know what? The old has gone. Now I lived a very fiery life before I became a Christian. I lived a fiery life when I was a Christian. Like, my pastor had a lot of work to do. Like, pray for your pastors. They have a lot of work to do. And when I became a Christian, I had to go on this journey of understanding the old has gone, not just because something had happened in the spiritual, but because I made a decision to follow Jesus. And that meant I now had to change some of the ways I live my life. Roy and I were living together when we became Christians. Neither of us come from Christian families. We had no, we had never read the Bible in our lives. We hadn't heard the gospel until we was the age of 19. Sometimes we presume that everybody knows. They don't know. I wasn't told in primary school. No one told me in secondary school. I I lived on a council estate. I looked back, there was four churches. No one knocked on our door. I didn't know. And then when I went to work for uh, this guy, he was a born-again Christian, and he told me about Jesus. They don't know. Even if they know of church or they know of religion or they think they know what a Christian is because of the TV, they don't know the truth that you carry. They don't know the power that is in your life. It is our job to tell they don't know. And when we decide to follow Jesus, he transforms you. Listen, he's not finished with you. He's just started. Let me give you a prophetic word. He has just started with your life. It doesn't matter how old you are. When we place ourselves in his hands or how young you are, he can do amazing, incredible things. He can heal people in your workplace through you. It doesn't need to be leaders. You can just lay hands on faith. You're a disciple and you can see God do supernaturally more. Sometimes we believe for so little. I love what Stephen said this morning about your building. Let me tell you, you need a bigger building. You need a much, much bigger building. Not the next size building. You need a building for the size of church that God wants to build in this place. When we were looking for a building, our church were praying for 50 years. Let me encourage you, 50 years of faithful praying and seeking and looking at opportunities and land. And then when my husband and I took over, we renovated the existing building and we went to two services like you are. We had about 180 people. And my husband felt God say to him, I'm going to give you a thousand seater. He's like, well, we've got a hundred. Yeah, but I'm going to give you a thousand seater. And he stood up on a vision Sunday and told the whole church, we're going to have a thousand seater. And when he stepped down, he was like, I really hope God gives me a thousand seater. (laughs) I was like, yeah, I do too, because you just told everybody. A year later, we were in a thousand-seater auditorium. That's what God does. And you need a much, much bigger building. I don't know how many unsafe people are in this community and in the communities around, but you need a much bigger building because God has so much to do in you and through you to reach people in your community. 
He is taking you from glory to glory. The old has gone. Stop living in the past. Stop ruminating over what happened or stop disqualifying yourself. You are a disciple now and he wants to use you right now. I am not the same when I was 19. It was a journey. It was a a moment of revelation and then I've been going on the journey with Jesus ever since. And you're on a journey. And he's going to use your weaknesses and your strengths for his glory if you place them into his hands. If you know who Jesus is, you will know who you really are. And it is not what other people say. And sometimes, you know, the worst offenders is not other people. It's not the son says, it's what you say. Sometimes we speak ourselves down. You know, we have a rule in that church that every time someone says something negative about themselves, they have to say two positives. It's the two positive rule. And it can't be something flippant like, I've got nice hair and my shoes are nice. doesn't count. It's got to be something genuine that God has done in your life. Because the thing is, we speak a lot of rubbish over ourselves and over our own lives. We disqualify ourselves. I want to read you some scriptures from the Bible of what the Bible says about you. Not just the person on your left or your right. This is what the Bible actually says about you. These are all New Testament scriptures. Just listen to them. For some, I'm just going to pick some of them out. That you are blameless, free from accusation. That you are firmly rooted in Christ. You are chosen of God, holy, dearly loved. You've been given a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. You've been saved and set apart. You are a holy partaker of a heavenly calling. And you have the right to come boldly before the throne of God to find grace and mercy. You are a living stone. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession. You've been given exceedingly great and precious promises. You're forgiven, anointed. You're a child of God. You're loved. You have a peace that passes all understanding. You've been cleaned. You've been given eternal life. You've been given glory, justified, free from condemnation. You've received the Spirit of God. You've been given the mind of Christ. You are a dwelling place. You're united to God. You are bought with a price. You are called victorious in in the likeness of Jesus. You've been given strength in exchange for weakness. You've been chosen before the foundation of the world. You've been raised up and seated with Christ. You are God's masterpiece. And you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. That is who you are. That's what the Bible says that you are. God doesn't make any rubbish. That's who God says that you are. So you do not have the right to say any different because the word of God is our final authority. And that is who he says you are. So we can't keep speaking rubbish over ourselves and putting ourselves down. We've got to know our identity in Christ. This is who you are. See, Peter is the one that has a revelation in Mark chapter 8. He says, you are the Christ. And what an incredible revelation to understand that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the anointed one. But even in that revelation, Peter didn't really understand what was coming and what the cost was. Do you know what's incredible is Jesus says, don't tell anyone. He wasn't looking for applause. He wasn't looking for people to come and and champion him. He wasn't looking to gather people for the sake of it at this point. His eyes were fixed on the cross. And when his eyes were fixed on the cross, he thought of you and me and every single person on the planet that one day he knows would only be able to access God the Father because of the cross. That we came with our mess and our brokenness and our sin and our rubbish. And we came and we suddenly had an understanding that Jesus paid for all of that on the cross. And that when we say, Jesus, I am sorry, I'm going to follow you, that we are made new. And when he died on that cross, he was thinking of us. But he makes all things new. 
And I want to really encourage you today. I want to encourage you to live different. I want you to encourage actually to live according to who the Bible says that you are. To shake off shame, to shake off condemnation, to shake off labels of what the psalmists have said and start living and walking and breathing as the disciples that you are, as the men and the women of God that you're called to be and that you change a nation. This is your nation and it is in your hands. As as Pastor Michael said, the baton is in our hands to change our nations and the baton for Scotland is in yours. Don't think too small. Don't just think it's just about this street and this neighborhood. The battle for your nation is in your hands. And it's going to take men and women of God who are going to raise up a standard and say, I am not going to allow the some says and the internet and the Instagram to define who I am. I know who I am in God and I'm going to change my nation. I'm going to change my street. I'm going to invite my neighbors. Maybe you haven't invited anyone to church for a long time. Do it this week. Wouldn't it be great if you had to go to five services? I've just scared the whole leadership team. But, you know, we speak about revivals. We read about revivals. It's time for revival. Revival doesn't happen just like the Holy Spirit coming by wind. It starts in your heart. It starts with fire that raises up and fires. And you say, I will, Lord, send me. I will tell my neighbor. I will invite. I am going to live a life that's sanctified and glorified and sacrificed for you. I wonder if you'd stand with me. I wonder if I can pray for you. That you will shake off the mindsets of yesterday and the labels and you will live for Christ in who you are. Lord, I just lift every single person to you in this room. And I pray that our hearts will be on fire. That we will accept nothing less than the best for you, Jesus. That our lives will be sold out. Lord, that we will reprioritize and reorganize the things that we have placed value on that actually have no value in eternity. Lord, that we will see afresh those people that you've placed around us in the workplace, in the school, in the college. Lord, in every sphere of our life, that we will see them as you see them. And Lord, you, I pray for a fresh understanding of who each individual person in this room actually is. That they will step out of the mantle and the labels and they'll live in the freedom, Jesus, that you bought for them at the cross. So Lord, I pray, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will do such an incredible work in both our thought life and our heart life that we will stand as men and women and young people for you fully and absolutely sold out in our identity to serve you, to love you and change the world around us. And all of God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been challenged and inspired. Please feel free to contact us through our website, foundchurch.co.uk or you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram.